So for today's episode, we have with us Delegate Skyler Van Valkenburg. He is the delegate of the 72nd District in Henrico. He is a Democrat, educator, and most importantly, he is a father of three. So welcome to the show, Delegate Van Valkenburg. Thank you for yeah. having me. And, and may I ask, like, is it is it delicate or is it just Skylar? Or what, it's, it's, what can we call you? It, you're very official right now. It's 100% just Skylar. <laughs> All right. All right. That's uh, how we roll on the show. Yeah. Wait, no delegate, please. I, I like to be official. I like to be official sometimes. <laughs> well, then, uh, then, then, then it's... Skylar Van Valkenburg. Oh, then you oh, I love it. <laughs> like, oh. If you really <laughs> want to get tugged. Yeah, if you... But I'd prefer Skylar. All right, Skylar. <laughs> Skylar it is. Um, so, Skylar, kind of just getting into it. So, you know, you're on this kind of show for a reason. We like to, you know, get game changers on the show. Um, but one of first, we're, we're going to get to all the stuff that you've done, you know, recently, um, you know, so while you've been serving. But, like, I want to go back to when you first started teaching and how did you get from teaching and, and you know, all that passion for teaching and then in a sort of, you know, trans, transition into, you know, you know, delicate today. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, it's a pretty long story. I mean, that I'm not going to tell the whole story, but, but I, I mean, it was a, a really slow evolution. And I actually, and I tell my students this every year, it actually is the program that I teach my government kids, this We the People program, that's a, a curriculum and a competition that's done nationwide. Uh, and that uh, some of my kids do every year, and we compete against schools like Freeman and Maggie Walker. And, and you know, I, I, I got out of the University of Richmond, I took a year off, and then I, I immediately started teaching in Henrico County Schools. I spent five years at Shore Pump Middle School, and I spent the last 11 at Glen Allen. And, uh, you know, if you had asked me 16 years ago would I have ever run for office, I would have been like, no, of course not, right? Of course not. Uh, and at the time, I was building a family. My, uh, my first year teaching, I had my, my, first, my son, and, you know, I was going to grad school, getting my master's in history. But really, I do, when I look back on kind of that, that transition, it really was teaching this program. And, and one of the reasons I love it is because it's teaching content, but it's also teaching how to be a citizen while you're doing it, right? Like you're modeling what you're learning by doing it. And that, of course, rubs off on a teacher too, right? Like you are, you are, you are learning just as much, if not more, as the kids. And you are partaking in those activities just as much as they are. And so while you're teaching them to be a kind of small d democratic citizen, right, you're also teaching yourself. And there's a kind of empowerment to that. And, and so I, I, would, I would tell, tell you that it was really doing that program. And over the years, our, you know, we kept getting better and better because we were doing it more. And that, I think, really kind of led me to, in 2017, really after November 2016, to this thought process of, okay, well, I've been, I've been preaching this for 16 years. Maybe I, let's practice what I preach. It's, it's, it's time to be more engaged. My, my kids are older. I feel like there's this moment where people need to be active. And, and I didn't know what that was at the time when I first thought it. Um, I just thought maybe I would like volunteer <laughs> you know like go to a food bank or something um but it, it kind of led where it was and I, and I do think it was kind of like the long slow progression of being a teacher I mean and you guys know better than anybody right that uh teaching is a very public task it, it, it is a form of public service because you're you're in a community that you don't have you don't choose who you teach, right? You just have these people and you have, to yeah. meet, you, have to, you have to meet them where they are. You have to try to convince the most skeptical person in the room why they should at least like try a little bit in your class, <laughs> let alone yeah. master it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and if you don't do that, you're not going to be successful, right? If, you, if you're not meeting that, that last kid 
the kid least interested, the most skeptical where they are, you're going to miss somebody. And, you know, I think politics is a lot like that and government and policy is a lot like that. And so it's uh, that kind of building up of teacher muscles, I think, led to, you know, running for office. And thankfully, I was successful. And here we are. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I think when you talk about all the things that you're, you know, have done currently doing, and I love the idea. And what is that? What was the, the program call that you were doing? Yeah. So We the People, is a, it's a program that came out of the 80s. Um, and it came out of uh, the Bicentennial. And it, it's a national program run by the Center for Civic Education, which they do a bunch of different civic programs. It's a national nonprofit. And We the People is one of them. And it's a way of teaching the Constitution, which is then, of course, a way of teaching government. And it focuses on kind of the active pursuit of kids trying to figure out what they think about the Constitution. So it's think kind of like a mock congressional hearing where it's they give an opening statement and then judges, which, you know, would be like senators or congressmen. Yeah. Right. Grill them for six minutes. <laughs> like, well, why are you right? Well, I think this is right. And they have to back it up. And um, and it becomes a very empowering thing because you've got these 18 year olds who are pushing back against you know, uh, law scholars, politicians, you know, people in the bureaucracy, you know, just people who care a lot about the issues that, that want to be judges. And so it's, um, and, 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 you know, the beauty of it, right, is, of course, you've got to take the other side seriously. And, and it's a it's a really kind of empowering way to teach people how to engage as citizens. And uh, I, I will go to my deathbed arguing it is the most effective way to teach government and that kids who do it are, um, less cynical about government, more likely to vote, more likely to participate. And that's what government is supposed to be about. If you don't remember all the three branches in the deep, fine details, right? Who cares? Like, yeah. do you, do you try to educate yourself? Do you try to be a good citizen? Do you vote? That's like, that's, that's, that's what it's all about. So you are still teaching. Yep. In addition to all the work that you're doing politically. <laughs> yep. How does that work? Like, what does your day look like? I'm just. <laughs> yeah, well, so we're a part time legislature in Virginia, uh, as a lot of state legislatures are. And uh, what that means for us is uh, in a long session, it's 60 days, it's two months, and we deal with the budget in that year. And in a short session, it's roughly 45 days, um, which is this year. And, and during that session, I actually I go off the payroll. And there's a long-term sub because that is 12-hour days of, of the lawmaking process. But otherwise, um, it's I just work a lot. <laughs> I, have, really I, have, I have two jobs I love, uh, you know, and oftentimes what that means is I, I do meet mornings and meetings in the morning or I'll do meetings after school or at night. Um, you know, weekends are busy. And I can't kind of be the standard politician who in the fall is just stumping nonstop, right? Because I have to teach. So yeah. I... I take meetings in the morning, I teach, and then I go campaign if it's a campaign season. And, um, and, and, and you know, they, they, there's times where that's challenged, but they also work together. They can work together really well. And, and you know, I, I do have summers off, right, which I can then fill with things. And if I, can, I can focus my policy, you know, when I'm trying to build policy or what I think is important. And I can, I can do a lot of that in the summer, you know, or I do it in breaks. And so it's just, I don't know, it's, it is, it's a lot of work, but it's good work and it's important work. And I love both jobs. So it's, it's um, yeah, I drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And, and you know Zoom, you know Google Meet, you know Microsoft yeah. Teams, you know all these we different... WebEx. <laughs> yeah, you know all, all the platforms. All the platforms. They're all on my phone. <laughs> I love um, so like going into um, kind of like what you, your first um, 
I guess your first bill or was it uh, something that you first kind of sponsored was or what kind of got you started, excuse me, was was getting, um, you know, some of the legislature to understand and to realize uh, the teacher debt uh, crisis kind of going on right now. And, and Holly and I were kind of talking a little bit about like you joining like like, yeah, we're, we're trying to learn, like, if you're like if you're talking to a teacher or a beginning year teacher that's currently going through that or looking to, you know, pursue, you know, further, you know, further career stuff uh, through school, what would you like? What would you you know advise them? Or where are there some resources that they can kind of reach out to? Yeah, it's, I know it's tough, right? I, there's, I think one of the big problems that we face when it comes to the student debt issue is that um, there's no kind of like centralized answer to that. Right. Um, and, you know, we've seen that we've seen the federal government has a forgiveness program if you work at certain schools for certain length of time. But we found that that, that uh, Senator Kane actually in Virginia has been a leader on just showing how flawed that program is and trying to fix it. And it's been very frustrating at the state level. Mm-hmm. We traditionally have not done a good job over the last couple of years. We've passed some bills to try to create a centralized authority to help people with their debt, to help people understand, uh, you know, to give them no- the knowledge to how to, you know, um, uh, what not debt, what not debt to not get and, and, and how to repay it and how to refinance it if you need to. So we've created a centralized authority of the, for that in the state and, and, you know, tried to do some more things to bring transparency to the lending process. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, right now, there's just not a good answer to that question. Oh, yeah. um, you know, uh, college is getting more expensive, but teacher salaries aren't going up. And the debt forgiveness program is too convoluted to be successful. Uh, and I mean, I, that's where political action matters, right? And I, I think yep. the, the more kind of young people you get in office who understand this issue, the more solutions you're going to get. Because, you know, folks who are, you know, let's say 20 years older than me, who are still kind of, in some cases, not old for the legislature, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. They, they, they went to college when it was different. Um, and... And so I think that's a kind of, I think as we see generational shift, there'll be more responsive legislatures, or I hope there will be more responsive legislatures. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, um, if you want to be a teacher and you know you want to be a teacher, I think that you should choose a school based on that. You, you know, um, choose a school that's, you know, not necessarily as expensive where you can still get a good education and you can go through a teacher program and be aware of that because, uh that's not always the first thing people think about when they go to school, right. you yeah. know? And so I think, I, I think, and that's where counselors matter. And that's where we need more counselors. Amen. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> we, we had, we had gone a long way to getting more counselors in schools before COVID hit this year. Yeah. Uh, but really having counselors who can focus on that. Hey, okay, well you want to do this. Well then this is the school for you mm-hmm. because you don't want to rack, you know, university of Richmond's a lovely place. I went there. I, uh, uh, you don't need that much debt to be a teacher. (laughs) Right. And and I think having counselors who really understand that financial component and that, that that is a reality, um, that we have to, to look at. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Uh, speaking of counselors, (laughs) um, I know that, you know, um, for Henrico, at least, you know, we, we're approved to have 40 new school counselors um, added to our, our arsenal. Um, and then when COVID hit, you know, unfortunately, we weren't able to keep those positions. Any idea on kind of what that looks like moving forward? Do you foresee that kind of shifting? 
Yeah. So the kind of context of that, right, is there's been a big push over the last couple of years um, of which I, I played a decent sized role of getting to one in 250, which is one counselor for every 250 students, which is, which is kind of considered the gold standard that allows a counselor, counselor to actually do their job. And um, we had gotten really close to that in the last budget. We weren't all the way there, but we were we really got close. And then COVID hit and we had to freeze some money and cut other money. And a lot of education spending got temporarily frozen. Uh, so, uh, for instance, kind of early, early education is an example of that. Um, money for the at-risk add-on fund for schools that have a high at-risk population was frozen. The counselor money was just taken out because the problem was if we didn't spend it right away, uh, people, it would be too late in the hiring process. And so the logic was, well, when we come back, it's going to be too late anyway. We're going to take it out. I, you know, I, I still didn't like that they did that. I think that we could have kept it in, but I, under, I understand why. Um, you know, we came back in the special session and a lot of that education money did get put back in, right? And, and it is being funded, which is kind of the context of it, right? So when we come back into this session, but more importantly, in the couple, the couple of years to coming up, it's really, really, I think, important that we put that money back in. And you know, I think depending on state elections are this year, depending on what happens, we'll determine how likely that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I will say that there's two things that work in its favor. One is that, you know, 10 years ago when we had a recession, education really, what, uh, the, the cuts to the budget were put on the backs of, of public education. And we had just recovered from that. Well, when we went through this last recessionary cycle, we didn't do that, right? It was not put on the backs of education. So we have a solid foundation to work from. And then the second piece is so far, knock on wood, of course, the, uh, the economy has not tanked in COVID. A lot of states have had a lot of problems. Uh, Virginia has not been one of them. It's not to say we're in great times. We're not in great times. But we didn't see the kind of collapse of the economy that we thought we would. And so hopefully, you know, the knock on wood being we tame this thing until a, a vaccine comes and we, the, the economy keeps kind of chugging along, we can, we can get back to where we were and that money can get put back. Because, I mean, I, I think counselors and support staff are the number one things in Virginia we could do to make our schools work better in the short term. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of long-term things we could do, but in the short term, the thing that we could do that would be most impactful in kids' lives would be to have more counselors and to have more support staff. Um, and we were getting there, and we're still getting there. We were making big chunks out of it, but COVID alas got in our way and so hopefully we can turn it around quickly it is is that the same with a lot of the issues that you're kind of bringing up with education is everything kind of been put on hold because of covid or is there anything that you're looking at right now or doing right now to kind of kind of pursue some of the things that you're interested on seeing you know get changed well the good news is that a lot of the money that was temporarily suspended uh we just put back into the budget. So, you know, the first lady had a huge initiative for early education. That was one of our priorities last session and that's back in. So, you know, really having a robust uh, pre-K program, four and five-year-old program. So that's great news. Uh, The at-risk add-on money was put back in the budget. The re-benchmarking, which has to happen occasionally and which was millions upon hundreds of millions of dollars is in the budget. So the the good news moving forward is that we are in a good place for education um, in terms of the budget and the budget priorities. Uh, But yeah, I mean, moving forward, there's going to be some things around special education. There's two reports that are coming out. One just came out yesterday about spending on uh, private day schools versus special kids being in service in public schools. There's one coming out in December uh, as well. So we'll see a lot of work in that area. 
Uh, I think there's a lot of work to be done in the new accreditation standards, which came out, have come out in the last couple of years and implementing them well as we've kind of rolled back some of the SOLs mm. and we're moving into performance-based testing. Uh, I think there's a lot of space there that just to make sure it's implemented well um, so that we don't go back to SOLs. Um, Is there anything that's... that you need from teachers in terms of like advocating or, you know, just thinking like, what do you need from us? Like, is there anything that we can be able to do to kind of help? Or... Yeah, because because we're because we're on the same page with you as far as SOLs is concerned. We uh, like we're we're all for like watching students, you know, use yeah. their life ready skills and you know to to produce you know you know their their grades and you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when it comes to performance based tests and when it comes to uh, you know this kind of move towards a new accreditation standard that's based more on schools implementing what's called the five C's, right? Things like yeah. citizenship. Uh, I really just think it's like impl implement it well, right? We need to implement it well. That's not just on teachers. That's on central office. That's on special special specialists. Uh, but just implement it well because, you know, one thing we tend to do in the education world is ping pong between no standards and the wrong standards. And so we, we, we go back and forth, right? So we have very few federal standards there's not a lot of kind of end of year testing happening. Then we get No Child Left Behind, right? And we swing yeah. the complete other way. And then, you know, the backlash to No Child Left Behind because the tests were seen as poor, but there was too many of them. It was seen as not helping kids get a proper education, right? Well, now we're swinging back. And, and the, my fear is we swing back too far the other way. And so if we can really be in that kind of wheelhouse where there is this kind of there's these standards that are based around deeper learning, based around performance-based tests, if we implement that well, um, you can we could be in that sweet spot of we're we're holding teachers and students to the right standards uh we're we're doing the proper learning and we're showing how kids are growing right yeah uh and when it comes to the other issues i mean there's there's the it's a famous phrase if you're not um at the table you're on the menu and, <laughs> and like yeah. you know that's just true of any that's true mm -hmm. of any interest group right that's true at politics right that's true of uh teachers and and you know PTAs and it's true of, you know, real estate and it's true of healthcare and it's true of you name, you name the category, right? Mm -hmm. Being involved matters because people need to hear your voice. And one thing, you know, in the policy world, especially in the legislature, there's just not a lot of people who have direct involvement in education, mm -hmm. you know, because not a lot of people in this space run for office. Uh, you know, it's a job that requires a lot of hours uh, it's a job that doesn't have a built-in kind of political background where people that you know that are in politics to help you fundraise and door knock. Yeah. Um, and so you just don't tend to get a lot of people in that space. And so there's a lot of people that make education policy in the legislature that, you know, they get their policies from people they hear from. And if they hear from a certain group of people, right, they bend that way. And that's, that's, that's not good or bad. It's just what it is. Um, yeah. And so that's why it's, you know, it's why it's why it's good to have a teacher on the education committee, because I can say, well, hold on time out. Let's, let's, let's think about this and how, do, how would we implement it? What, what does this really look like? What are you trying to do? Um, and education, education policy is sticky. It's hard. Oh yeah. I would totally agree. And yeah, going back to your point of like getting, you know, the deeper learning concepts and, and those strategies and those, you know, the pedagogies within schools. Like I, I think, you know, uh, like at our school, we have an innovative learning coach and, and that's this guy right here talking. And part that's, that's mostly our job is doing a Henrico learning profile and getting those, you know, those, those five C's, we have six C's, uh, you know, into daily curriculum. So I can see the push for it. We're, we're adding, you know, more of us, you know, each day to Henrico. So I could see the, you know, the definite push for it. And, and hopefully, you know, we, 
we, you know, we're able to get to a point where, you know, we're not thinking about standardized tests. And yeah, and it, what makes it tough is like we've got a whole generation of teachers that were taught under the no child left behind model. So they they did not learn under this model. Um, and you've got a whole generation of students and parents who have been taught about the immediacy of that kind of multiple choice SOL test. And, you know, uh, performance based testing in some ways is a it's a it's it's more on the teacher right and it's more on the student mm -hmm. and it's how do you how do you rejigger how people learn and coursework because if you're going to do deeper learning that does require a different quite a, kind of effort from teachers and from students and so how do you make it so that it's still manageable right and you're not just adding more work on top of a stressed out student or on top of a stressed out teacher and and there's yeah. the, the kind of give and take between the amount of curriculum you cover and the ability to do that. And it's, it's, that's part of the implementation process that I, I, I think is real tricky because if you do it wrong, right, you just end up adding work to everybody and they burn out and they don't do it well and, yep. and people complain. Um, and so it's a, it's a sweet spot. No, oh, I totally agree. Well, as far, like, I think um, virtual learning, I'm just curious to see like how education will change. Like yeah, what will be the new normal now that we've, dabbled in virtual learning and, and it, you know, in some ways we can tailor education in ways that we haven't been able to before. And um, I don't know, it's just going to be really interesting to see what the new education model looks like after this. Yeah. I, I wonder, I was having this conversation earlier today and I kind of wonder if it's going to teach us to all realize that we can roll back some of the kind of quantity of information we're requiring from students. I mean, it's, Absolutely. it's tricky, right? You take it like a history curriculum is a, is, a, is, a, is a perfect example of how it's tricky because, you know, the fear when you pull back content, right, is that people are not going to be taught everyone's history. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about, well, we're going to move to more skills based learning, there's very real, very real worries in some communities that that just means their history isn't going to be taught, like particularly mm -hmm. African-American history in Virginia, let's say. Right. Sure. And, and so it's tricky when you do that. But the flip of that is, you know, in virtual learning, and I think it's been semi-successful for me, is I was like, well, you know what? I, you should not be staring at me for 65 minutes in a day. And, and also, you know, like the kind of small classwork that makes sense when you're in person makes a lot less sense when you're virtual. It just seems it, it's not busy work when you're in person, but it feels like busy work when you're virtual. And so... I've, I've did a research paper in the first quarter, which I don't typically do. And I don't, you know, I'm sure the students didn't love, uh, but, <laughs> but it was like week by week we've had, you know, they had to meet with me every week. We taught, we did a bibliography, we did a outline, we did a rough draft and um, you know, those are skills that they need, of course. And then, you know, hopefully in the process of that, they're taking their direct topic and expanding out to these other topics that they don't realize they're learning about, but they are. Right. And, um, it's like a form of project-based learning, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just kind of like an old-school form of project-based learning, right? <laughs> very, very old-school, uh, right. Um, you know, and, and, but I think kids get more out of it. And I think when we kind of realize that, hey, we, it, it's okay to do that. We don't have to cram in, you know, you know 400 years of history in one class. Um, it's kind of freeing in some ways. I think we might hopefully knock on wood learn from virtual learning. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I'm certain. I know. I know a lot of a lot of teachers that are excited about you know the all the new instructional technology tools that they've learned over the last 
you know, few months. And I know like the students are, are learning more than they've ever had before with like, you know, first graders. I know you're in high school with first graders using, you know, computers and stuff like that. So everyone, everyone's kind of like getting pushed, uh, you know, in, in the direction of like this, this IT, IT world. But, um, but uh, Skylar, you know, thank you for chatting. I, like one thing I want to just, what's one thing that you would tell perhaps, you know, a teacher kind of coming in, um, to their own as a teacher and, you know, possibly thinking about other passions um, and then trying to find that balance. What would you, what, what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah. I, oh, oh, oh. Um, I guess, well, I know that, I, that's a curveball. I guess, you know, I always think that teaching is, it's about like just owning who you are and being who you are and molding kind of your teaching kind of management and, and, and curriculum around that, you know, kids can sniff out a phony in a second. And, um, and, and if you're true to who you are, they're both going to learn more and you're going to be a better teacher. And so like, I just, I'm a, I'm a nerd. I'd like to read books. I like to talk about abstract ideas and I embrace that. And, and I build that in. And I think, I think that's just true too of, you know, whatever you're going to do, you know, I, I am a government nerd. I do believe passionately that politics can lead to a better world. And uh, that led me down the path it did. And, I, and I, I think it's been a good four years. I think we've done a lot of things that I'm really proud of um, as an elected official, you know, Medicaid expansion. He's making it easier yeah. for people to vote. Uh, stuff like that. I could, I could list it on and on. I'm not going to. But like my point being, like, um, I, I just think, like, the lesson for being a good teacher is the, is the the lesson for all of that which is like if you authentically like doing something it's who you are and you embrace it because you're going to love it and you're going to work hard and you're going to you're going to shine you're going to rub off on people I, I just think that's what it should be and and, and I, it's not always easy to do that right and sometimes you don't necessarily have the the resources to do that or you know there's you have a moment to do it and then you don't have a moment to do it but i you know i i just think that so many people in teaching try to kind of shoehorn themselves into a model that's not who they are right and then when you figure that out that's true of every first year teacher you're trying to figure out who yeah, you are that's a good point it's true when you're a second year teacher mm -hmm. you're trying to figure out who you are and yeah. um and you know you have that aha moment and you rebuild everything around who you are and then like five years later you're somebody different and so you reshape your classroom again because you you've changed um and i kind of i think that's just true as you kind of move through too when you think about new opportunities when i was you know i ran when i was 35 uh, you know, I don't think it would have been the right thing to do to run when I was 30, even if I was interested. I it was just a different me and it was a different part of my life. And so I think mm -hmm. I feel like I'm blathering now, so I'm going to stop. But I no, think, well, <laughs> no, no, I love it. And, and before we go, I just I can't stop thinking about what you said earlier in the um, episode. You said um, reaching that last kid. And yeah. um, I love that. And I, I circled it and I for our teachers out there, um, even our parents <laughs> who are just, you yeah. know, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of worry. And just, you know, um, I don't want us to forget about that last kid. Um, so if you have any, yeah. I don't know, I'm going to put you on the spot, like any advice yeah. or like kind of a, a pep talk for that teacher or that parent. Yeah. I, 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 I just think this is where like, this is where I, I've heard this word over and over. So that's why I'm going to use it. I don't know if it's the right word, but grace. I, I just think reaching that last kid is a really, it, it's a really hard thing to do. And it's almost an ideal as much as it's like a real concrete thing you're trying to do. Although it is a real concrete thing you're trying to do. Right. Um, 
but there's just so many things that, that make that difficult and that, and that, yeah. you know, and there's the, you know, uh, I'll be a, a little bit of an AP European history nerd, right? Uh, in Hamlet, there's the famous soliloquy to be or not to be. And he talks about <laughs> the thousand small cuts that man is, is heir to. And what he's talking about yeah. is just like the, sm- the thousand small things that go wrong, right? Or the thousand small things that cut you and cause us to not communicate effectively. And it's even harder to communicate effectively now. And, you know, trying to reach that last kid is just, it's more about just being open, right? And being accessible, and just giving opportunities and not getting stuck in minutia than it is anything else. And I think if we all try to do that, we're not always going to succeed. I've been teaching for 16 years, right? Failure is part of teaching. It, it just is. It's hard. You teach a lot of kids. Um, and it's just the attempt. It's the earnest effort. And it's people understanding that you're giving that effort, right? And then there's tons of concrete things you can do. In the meanwhile, you can email parents every week. I do that. I have an parent newsletter where I try to email them every week. You know, you, you give them second and third chances because at the end of the day, we want them to learn, right? I'd rather they learn than oh, yeah. have an A. I'd rather they do something than feel like they can't. Um, and it's just, I don't know, just, try, I, I, just trying to be decent. Um, which I know all teachers are doing, right? But sure. it's, so it gets really hard for teachers and parents and students to, to, to just keep that in mind. And so I, don't know, that's, I think that's a big piece of it. Um, I love it. And then just hope for the best, right? Yeah. And work for the best. I love that. Yeah. Well, Skylar, th- thank you again. We, we, we appreciate your time. Holly, you know, I know we, we, we've been looking forward to, to chatting with you. And, and, you know, I learned a bunch throughout this. And I think that's what you know, our goal is throughout this is to learn from, from people like you so we can then take this and, and help other people move forward with their, their passions and, uh, you know, as well as well, our passions. We, you're, you're entirely so. too kind, but thank you. You're and I, I, got, I always like getting to talk about the two things I love doing. So I'm, I'm a really, really lucky person. I have three healthy kids and I have two jobs I love. I, I just like, you know, forget about it. And, and guys, yeah. thank you. And I, I wanted to it. say a little special thank you to the four-legged friends that you've heard in the background that's my very loud dog yeah once again appreciate you anytime guys listeners see you next time be good hey hey edspire listeners make sure that you subscribe to us so that you don't miss a single episode we are throwing your way and be sure to follow us on facebook and instagram at edspire podcast